Welcome to Stay Reading, a modern take on the book club. I'm Chris Penrose. And I'm Megan Yuri Young. On today's episode, we have Shad in conversation with Nicole Chin. Nicole is a force of good in this city and also works as a PR professional and co-founder of Open Space. Shad is a truly down-to-earth human who loves art in all of its forms. He's a critically acclaimed recording artist and also host of Hip Hop Evolution, which is an award-winning series on Netflix that is redefining and resetting the bar for how hip-hop is documented. Welcome to Stay Reading. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So the first question, mm-hmm. what kind of reader are you? What kind of reader? Okay, I'll answer first. Um, I read fiction when I have time. So that's vacations and that sort of thing. That's when I'm like, okay, I can like... Do you take some... vacations often? No. So you don't read fiction often? <laughs> I don't read fiction often. Really, I'd say once or twice a year. Yeah, yeah. And other than that, it's a lot of like nonfiction. Um, but I do love having that time. Like fiction really, I think, shapes me more than nonfiction. The, the, the great fiction that I've read has really impacted me and, and shaped who I am. So, yeah, I set aside a couple times a year where I have a couple books that I, I can really get into. And otherwise, it's some nonfiction. So I tried to just bring um, the latest stuff that I've read because otherwise it gets too hard. To, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I go deep to, in the archives. Exactly. Yeah. For me, I think I read the way I work out, which is intermittently and semi-consistent, <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah, it I think these are two different types of readers. We, no, we've, we've had a little bit of overlap in the past, but these are very new concepts. Yes, yes. and recently I've, I've really wanted to dive into interesting, diverse stories from people of color. So around the world, I just felt like my life wasn't rich enough with experiences that I just don't know in places that I have no idea about. Mm-hmm. So that really intrigued me. And I and I started to fall into this hole of, you know, looking on Goodreads, like what are those diverse authors and things like that. Um, and I brought some of the books that really stuck with me mm-hmm. um, and probably the easiest to explain. So, so good, and Goodreads <laughs> is like a website or? Yeah. Good, Goodreads. Oh, you don't know Goodreads? No, Goodreads know, is like it. where it's like the Yelp for books. Yes. It's like a lot of reviews from both like uh, prestigious critics and just everyday readers. And it ranks all the books. It's It's been around for ages. How do you not know yeah. that? I, I just go off a word of mouth pretty much. You know, like, it's also, all about yeah. the print. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. screw <laughs> the internet. <laughs> What's good about it is you can also create, like, want-to-read lists. Mm-hmm. So you can star things and read about them and see what's coming out. Like, I've sounds like a rabbit hole. I'd probably five. spend more time building my reading list than reading it. So. <laughs> well, Nicole, what I love what you said there is something that we haven't really touched on is this, the empathy of yes. what, like, reading is what allows us to put ourselves into other people's shoes which is to me one of the greatest things about reading yes we can educate ourselves like you're saying Mm -hmm. but like and maybe that's why you say fiction shapes you because there's something about fiction too Mm -hmm. that we also haven't talked about in the past Mm -hmm. like we we heavily talk about a lot of non-fiction in our conversations but fiction is what shaped me Mm -hmm. and continues to shape me Mm -hmm. so i love this i'm very excited for this conversation um i wanted to ask start with nicole talking about homes i had actually this morning Catherine Hernandez, who's the author of the book Scarborough, she posted on her IG that she's reading this book, and then I see it in your hands, so I was like, okay. I love this book. This book hit a milestone for me. I think I dusted this in two or three days. Really? Which is, (laughs) it's a record. So who is it it by? Uh, So this book is by Abu Bakr um, with Winnie Young. So Abu Bakr is a, uh, he's a refugee from Syria. Um, He now lives in Edmonton. 
Uh, and it just it, it highlights his story from from immigrating from Syria to Canada. Oh my goodness. Um, and the passage I read um, or, or that I chose uh, hopefully just gives some insight into, you know, we hear about this war. We, we always hear about wars, but we never really humanize it. We never really put a face to what uh, a human or somebody like us is actually dealing with every day. So mm-hmm. should I just go right into yeah, it? Oh, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Uh, okay, so the rumble of an army SUV sent us crouching behind the wall. An officer with a mean-looking rifle slung over his back jumped out of the back of the old jeep and he unlocked a giant padlock that now secured the chain-link gate. Until today, the gate was never locked. The jeep drove through the gate and waited while the officer looked up and jumped back in. It peeled away towards the building. Amro and I looked at each other confused and curious. Ali was pointing wildly at his own back and then at the soldiers. soldiers. Uh, Dragunov, he breathed, nodding knowingly. We all knew that name from Counter-Strike. Dragunov, the sniper rifle. That was what the soldier was carrying. My heart sank. One One more thing the stupid war stole from us. Here, where we spent so many afternoons playing soccer, the army was building a sniper's nest. Mm, wow. So for me, that was wild because you go to these, especially living downtown, you go to these places every day and you see these places in a certain light, but Mm -hmm. then to have your reality just switched in an instant and something just clicks in your heart and in your mind and you know nothing's ever going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So the image of like um, a gate that's never been locked before suddenly mm-hmm. locked like you wouldn't imagine that and I think that that's it's those small things that war brings about that we often miss unless you're going through it like a soccer field mm-hmm. being changed to a, a, a sniper den is a pretty extreme thing but a gate that you're used to just walking through all the time like I think of growing up in Scarborough and there's all these catwalks between mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. sections of houses like um, in the case of a war, what would that catwalk mm-hmm. become? Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to even yes. mm-hmm. imagine how, how that would change or, like, you know, or a soccer field or, you yeah. know. I know, it, yeah. I think starting with that, um, yeah, the, the book um, reminds me of um, a short story, story about, about a war. war. Yeah, yeah. tell yeah. us more about that. Yeah, I mean, that was, um, that's the last album that I made and that, well, it's a little bit different in the sense that that album, the, the idea came from looking at actually at our society and for somehow, some, for some reason, I just saw this war layered on top of it, mm-hmm. on like the war of competition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just the way that we sort of behave in terms of, um, uh, in terms of antagonism towards one another. And in terms of hiding who we are from one another, it's mm-hmm. like it's like there's a metaphor there. There's a parallel to war in, in terms of how people behave. Um, but the thing I was thinking about, too, when, when you're talking about that is, is actually this author, not this particular book so much, but this author, Tim O'Brien, he writes a lot about war. And this one's the first story I read by him was about when he was well, he blurs a line between uh, his own personal story and fiction. Okay. A lot. It's a kind of some of the power in how he writes. But he tells a story of this young guy who's like 18 or something like that. Or maybe he's like 21. Goes to this small college in Minnesota where he grows up. You know, graduates top of his class. He has a scholarship mm-hmm. to go to Harvard. But it's 1968. He gets drafted. 
And like most students at that time, he's like anti-war, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's very conflicted because he's from this small town in Minnesota. Most of the young men have gone off and, you know, his, his parents probably have certain feelings about what you should do for your country and stuff like that. So one day in the summer, he just breaks down and he takes off north. Leaves a letter for his parents, takes off. And um, for a couple days, he's staying at this uh, kind of motel, um, empty motel that's on Lake Superior across from Canada. Okay. And um, the owner of that motel kind of knows the deal. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, um, come with me. I need your help on this trip. And so on this fishing trip. So he goes on Lake Superior and, and uh, stops about 10 feet from Canada. And he turns around to one side of the boat and is like, I'm just going to fish over here. Mm. Wow. And uh, and then Tim O'Brien is writing. He said, and I just sat at the edge of that boat. And I cried. And I just couldn't move. Mm -hmm. And then after an hour, the guy went back to Minnesota and he went off to Vietnam. Wow. And that story like stuck with me so much about like. Just human beings. And yeah. at, at the end of the day, we're simple creatures. Like, mm-hmm. we're, like, the product of our environment. And we'll risk our lives and we'll risk other people's lives mm-hmm. just because we kind of have no choice but to maintain these bonds sometimes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like the difficulty of war and the situations it presents for people, right? And the sense of responsibility. The sense of responsibility. Even at and, such a young age. And just at the end of the day, like, this is a bright guy with his own ideas mm-hmm. but at the end of the day he's a son of parents mm-hmm. he's a member well, of a, a community between war and exile right it's like, a choice between war and exile like what you know what choice do you have and like one of his big uh, rules he writes a lot about war since then it's like mm-hmm. his whole life's been writing a lot about war mm-hmm. and it, the big thing he says and why he blurs the line between fiction and reality is he's like there's no sense to it like no. I'm not gonna give you the answer there's no answer mm-hmm. he's like mm-hmm. it's just horrible mm-hmm. I don't know what to say mm-hmm. you know I'm how, just gonna tell how does that you. resonate because you've read a passage but you read the whole book of Holmes like how does what Shad's sharing resonate with this overall story he hit the nail on the head mm-hmm. I mean human stories uh, whether nonfiction or fiction Sometimes the real story is worse than the fiction. And yeah. and in the case of Abu Bakr, who is actually, it's, that's his name, um, he went through some horrific things. And I don't think he shied away from telling how it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that at such a young age, even your your worldview at that age is is one way, as as opposed to if, if you're an adult, you're you're taking in the world in a more simple form. And that, for me, is even more hard-hitting because mm. you're just a child. You're, you're even just trying to decipher what it is, what, what is your place in this world. So, And at the end of the day, too, you're not only a child, but war, like you said, it strips it down. Yeah. And it's about survival. And so there's this whole other... Like, we're, we think we're trying to survive. And we are, obviously. Mm. Everything's relative. But to be able to be in such dire circumstances and where life and death is presented at you at every moment. And he becomes numb. Yeah. The way he starts to describe things is just like, oh, yeah, you know, like shots through my window. No big deal. And that is when you're really like, this is a completely different world that I have no idea about. Yeah, Yeah, I think think that is a really, like, key part of who we are as people, right? Like, you... Take, you get used to things, things become normalized. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a certain level of familiarity um, that comes with 
both the things that we could be grateful for or the things that um, are really like extreme and, and traumatic. Either way, you can adjust to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes me think, too, about, um, you know, displacement. Right. Like sure. we we can sometimes in Canada get this picture of, well, everyone wants to come here because it's like amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like people don't want to leave home. Yeah. They'll stay there when there's bullets coming through the window, like like the the extent to which yes. things have to change where you're at for you to like leave. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it is very very poignant. Very well, the, well, the Doc Institute um, did a screening on Friday of some short films for uh, documentary films from their Accelerator program, which is like first time doc filmmakers, and there was one that was about Mogadishu, mm-hmm. and there was a woman's comment and. This, they talked to a bunch of elders about who, who were already adults when they left in the early 90s. And she was like, our plan was to just go when things settled down. We were going back to Mogadishu. Like, we, we're not trying to, like... And another guy was describing it as, like, the pearl of the Indian Ocean. Like, this mm-hmm. beautiful city with incredible architecture. Um, Friday, describing Friday nights at the beach, like, every week. And... Um, yeah, the plan was not to stay. Mm-hmm. The plan was things are going to calm down eventually and then we'll go back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my parents retired and moved back to Rwanda. Like, they never thought that they... They left because they never thought they could find a home in East Africa. Like, they mm-hmm. lived everywhere. And it was it was just never safe. And, uh, yeah, when it became safe and stabilized, they're like, okay, like we're going to go back home. You know, I think we lose that... Without the human stories, we lose that sometimes, that sense mm-hmm. of what it really takes for people to be displaced. People don't want to leave home. Yeah. And then there's also that other sense, that facade, too, of like, oh, it is better in Canada or mm-hmm. it is better somewhere else. And it's really, I was had to research some stuff on the healthcare system recently, and it's we all think we're an international ideal when it comes to our healthcare system. We rank 9 out of 11 by the Commonwealth Fund. Hmm. I think it's the Commonwealth Fund. Um, and it's just, again, it's just another shock. Like, it was like, oh, really? And it's because we, we our, our focus is narrow, and oftentimes we're compared to the U.S., Again, so, and then we tell ourselves yeah, and then we the tell story ourselves, over and over yeah, again. Yeah, and so then there's like that other dynamics like, oh, why wouldn't you want to stay where supposedly it's better? Mm-hmm. But really, we're just, we're, it, and in many ways it is. Maybe it's arguably yeah. safer, of course, and yes. all this other stuff, but it's not home and there's beauty elsewhere and we're just fooling ourselves at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So actually, I brought this book, um, which was from, a, what's those like uh, Honest Libraries? Uh, where you just like take in your oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're supposed to or you exchange I was trying to explain it. that to my son. We were walking by yeah. one and he's like Yeah. <laughs> it was a like, very what? like strange concept. We had some good well, questions about it. It was also really sad because there was a point where they were gonna take away these honest libraries, like these little like cute yeah. little nooks in the neighborhoods. Anyhow, and this one's called um No One Belongs Here More Than You Stories by Miranda July. Oh, Miranda um, July. Yeah, and I, book. I have that one too. Okay, yeah, I actually I have there was two of them. I was like, oh my God, I'm taking them both. Um, and it's really interesting because the, it's so funny. I only um, uh, highlighted one passage, which I feel like links to this conversation already. And I don't know. I think I'm just going to read it and I'll give some context. So basically, um, it's a short story called 10 True Things. And it's about a secretary who basically has this. Uh, relationship with her accountant that's very it's like very divided and and she's obviously she's um always observing him 
and she doesn't like what she sees, but it also tells her a lot about us as humans and us living in maybe um, North American society. And essentially, he's an accountant, but he's not actually an accountant. And so he sa- she says, why would someone do this, go through all the trouble of pretending to be an accountant when it would be m- so much more, um, easier to not be one? Be- because you get bound in. You say you will, and then you will, ha- and then you have to, and then they expect you to, and it just seems easier to do it. I think he told her he was an accountant on their first date. Um, oh, sorry, I think I got. It. Um, then he got business cards made that made that said Rick Marasovic, accountant two three six four nine five four, and then he handed her one. Then he got a phone for the number, then a desk for the phone, then an office for the desk, and then me. So in a sense, we are both working for her. Um, I wanted to know who she was. And then this part is also linked. So I feel like that part is this mentality where we just get stuck Mm -hmm. or we say we are. And she actually, even before this, says that he basically hires an accountant to do the the work that that is brought to him. So that's how much of a facade facade it is. But then this is what really got to me. And she um, she says, I'm just going to... I don't believe in psychology, which says everything you do is because of yourself. That is so untrue. We are social animals, and everything we do is because of other people, because we love them, or because we don't. She never came to the office, but she calls sometimes. Usually, he'd tell me. Oh, and sorry, that's just going on to the story. But that's this idea of what you were saying with um, Tim O'Brien, too, mm-hmm. right? This conflict that we think we're doing things for ourselves, mm. but really we're always thinking of others, which is beautiful, too. Yeah, yeah. But there's like this tension that um, it can become toxic or whatever you want, whatever words we want to use. Um, so I find that really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I think that's that's exactly what stuck to me about that other Tim O'Brien story, the mm-hmm. fact that, that that simple explanation that we are social creatures at the end of the day. We are just the product of the people that came before us and the people around us. And we mm-hmm. like to think that we're individuals quote-unquote you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and we have so much agency and I do think we have agency and it's precious but it's small Mm -hmm. it's so small Mm -hmm. well that idea of like that we don't do things for ourselves, we do them for other people that we like or don't like that's that's something that when it's said that way really is making me think like I I can't say I know where I stand on Mm -hmm. that but like it's so compelling. It makes a lot of sense. And it's like, yeah, how much of the things that I do on a daily basis are actually, for you know, others. for others? Mm-hmm. And how much, how, what percentage mm-hmm. of the motivation and, and energy and efforts that I put in are actually just for myself? Mm-hmm. I'm like, not much. I don't think we'd be able to make a living and live on our own without thinking of others. Mm-hmm. And also, if, if you ever, like, walk on... I do this, and I don't know how many people do this. It actually scares me. So some people think they look to the sky or they think how small the uh, how small we are in the universe. I look at the buildings, and mm-hmm. I look at all the individual windows. And I think in each of those windows, for the most part, aside from, like, some economic stuff, there's people living in those buildings. And then I'm like... And, and then I think, oh, my gosh, like, what does it even matter which, like, that's where I think. I don't even think of the stars. I yeah. just think of all the windows and all these buildings, that I, especially because I live essentially in that city place area yeah. um, where there's just so many high rises. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I get, and then I and and then I kind of just shrug my shoulders. And, and it, it does comfort me in a way too, but it's just fascinating how, yeah, we really are. And I think we are living in a society now in this specific um, culture where we're trying to be uh, self-aware and independent and, um, you know, self-care, self-love, but 
again, it's all a bit of a facade. Yeah, yeah, it is like, yeah, I know. That is, um, I think that's missing from that whole conversation of like self-care, all that stuff, is that like we are social animals mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. So as much as you try to sort of, um, yeah, like, uh, I don't know what the word is. As much as you try to take care of yourself and be present and be healthy and be well it's like all that stuff apart from other people apart from a community is like abstract to the point of maybe being like meaningless or whatever but Uh one thing you said that was interesting to me is like looking at all these windows and knowing that you're just one small person among like all these thousands and thousands of people is that for some people that's comforting and for other people, that's, like, deeply distressing. It's, like, both. It's both <laughs> for me. Depending on your personality. Honestly, and it, depending on the day yeah, and yeah, the yeah. time and, like, what's happening in your life. Because I, I swear it's both. It goes yeah, yeah. both How's ways. that line with you, Nicole? I think for me, like, sometimes <laughs> it, it trips me out. when and, and I'll I'll just have this moment of clarity. I'll be standing on a busy sidewalk somewhere downtown, and I'll take a moment, and I'll be like, wow, like, every single person at this intersection has a, a deep crazy story Mm -hmm. somewhere in their life that I have no idea about and they don't either with me they have no idea Mm -hmm. the types of things I've been through in my life and vice versa and I think that that to me is like a crazy like a concrete thing that always brings me back to empathy and I feel Mm -hmm. like this this idea of really trying to understand people um, and be kind and just in, in our interactions with people. And, you know, we talk about when we do things for people, um, how do we know that that's what they need and that's what they want? Mm-hmm. Is this what we want for them or is that what they actually need? Yeah. You know, and I think as we sort of explore these stories and read and, and try and just expand our worldview, it just becomes that much more clear to find a path to empathy. I don't think we'll ever fully arrive, but... I think it's, like, a journey that we should all take. Oh, 100%. Sure. I think yeah. one of the things that clicks for me on that is I, maybe when I was a teenager, I was I started trying to do this calculation of, like, all right, if there's 7 billion people in the world and how many seconds do I have in my life? And say I never ate, never slept, never traveled anywhere. All I did was spend time with people. It was something like <laughs> you would get, like, one second with 0.003 of the population or something like that. So it was like, when you break it down that way, like the like the sheer likelihood of meeting anybody, mm-hmm. you ever, like of every single person <laughs> you ever see in your life, the likelihood of you seeing that particular person is so small. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a part of it too when you look at like, you know, everyone's got this story, everyone um, and having that empathy, but it's also like, there are most of the people that ever exist right now. Mm-hmm. You will not even see them mm-hmm. with your so eye. Mm-hmm. And if you spent your whole time just trying to talk to people or see people, you still wouldn't see most of the people that exist. So the ones you do see, it's like there's something like sacred about yeah. that. Yeah, that's cool. For all the listeners out there, the environment we are recording in doesn't seem to be that important because you can't see the space. But to get beautiful sound, whether it's for a podcast, recording music, or even for film, TV, and advertisements, the space you're in and how it runs matters. That's why we record Stay Reading out of Post Office Sound in Liberty Village. From the raw audio, to creating a sound bed, and all of the magic that happens in post, the difference can not only be heard, it can be felt. 
So to all the creatives out there, if you need great audio, think Post Office Sound. So this book here, Seven Brief Lessons on Physics, Carlo Rovelli, um, and just basically on that wave of trying to make like physics make sense to people. Um, and it's a really great read, really simple, but there's this one passage that kind of jumped out when we were um, talking about what we were talking about. You'll, I guess you'll see why. Um, nature is our home, and in nature we are at home. This strange, multicolored, and astonishing world that we explore, where space is granular, time does not exist, and things are nowhere, is not something that estranges us from our true selves. For this is only what our natural curiosity reveals to us about the place of our dwelling, about the stuff of which we ourselves are made. We are made of the same stardust of which all things are made. And when we are immersed in suffering, or when we are experiencing intense joy, we are being nothing other than what we can't help but be, a part of our world. Mm. I thought it was like really cool to that kind of physics and science and mm -hmm. this person who's so like into and spend his whole life like studying the most detailed things about the universe like essentially like comes back to like oh we're just observing ourselves yeah mm -hmm. and we can't do anything but like everything we observe is really just us like mm -hmm. and our suffering our joy whatever it is it's just like we're just being a part of our world mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the cool. most, um, that's the thing that I'm learning every day this year specifically is just to be an observer, mm -hmm. like to understand like what I feel is what I feel, my, what I, what I do is what I do, but how do you get behind that and observe it and actually just, I don't know, it sounds so, I, I'm using just jargon that I'm, I don't know, like be present and like mm -hmm. in the moment and, uh, things that we just are, again, it's kind of like, um, we're being inundated with, but it's actually something that I'm, I'm actually absorbing now right now and, and feel like I'm, yeah it, it takes, takes so much effort too so much practice yeah. i feel like um going forward patience is going and attention mm -hmm. span are going to be like competitive advantages because mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have it mm -hmm. because it's like you know these addictions we have of phone and mm -hmm. content and information things moving so fast you have an attention span like mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah. a sense of community, too, because yeah. I think a lot of us are disconnecting mm. and we're not like I you don't have to volunteer. But I think it, there's something very beautiful with if we have the privilege to and the time and money to mm. be able to volunteer our time and um, and like carve out a little bit of it. That's something that we're kind of lo losing touch with, too, is mm -hmm. like that sense of community. Mm -hmm. um, you have a book on physics as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can pull that out. Um so yeah, this this is an incredible, incredible book. So Neil Turek uh, is actually that's the author of this book, The Universe Within. He's a very, very interesting guy. So he's like a leading physicist in the entire world. He's co-authored papers with uh, Stephen Hawking and stuff like that. Wow. Um, also, he was born in South Africa, and uh, his parents uh, were activists there um, in the '60s. Um, and when Nelson Mandela was released from prison and formed a government, his parents were part of the African National Congress, like government mm -hmm. for like many, many years. So he, he is like a leading physicist in the whole world, but also has, is, is very human and has a huge passion for, for Africa, for, um, for kind of justice and, and things. So he's like just a wonderful, inspiring, uh, person, but this book is amazing. It's like a history of math. 
Oh wow! So he basically goes from he <laughs> talks about. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I was like, the universe within. I was expecting not math. Yeah, it's a, it's, okay. a, it's basically the history of math. So he's like the oh, the earliest uh, mathematical artifact that that we have now is like thirty five thousand years old. It's basically like on a on a monkey bone. Someone has carved like strikes mm. and then crossed through every prime number. Wow. You know, so that's like the oh. earliest mathematical artifact. Isn't that what, it has like 28 notches, which is like the moon cycle or something too. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it has, yeah, some other like layers to it. But yeah. basically that's like the oldest mathematical. So he goes from there, you know, through, mm-hmm. you know, the Greeks and everything and blah, 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 to today. And just basically to show how amazing it is that human beings have stacked knowledge upon knowledge mm-hmm. upon knowledge mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. point where we have now computers, to the point where we can see almost the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's all through us stacking tiny pieces of knowledge, one yeah. on top of the other. Like, we can see almost the origin of the universe now. Mm-hmm. And and so, the the yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible book in that sense. And the part that I... Um, that I highlighted. Um, well, severely say, folded down that page. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, no, we got to we got to get for the li- listeners. Some sticky yeah, pads. for the yeah, listeners who like... can't see what just what he just did is like <laughs> he yeah he like fully. But yeah, I actually kind of yeah. like that you back. no no yeah, but also I like that you like fully it was like very intentional it wasn't yeah. just a little corner it no, was like no <laughs> no no I need to find this page um, <laughs> sorry no it's all good but I'll, I'll say one more thing so like uh, I heard him talk about this book once and he gave this really compelling short argument for um, basically being environmentalists he was like. We can't throw away all this knowledge. Like, we've been slowly (laughs) stacking knowledge and adding knowledge, and we're Mm. actually close to maybe even knowing why we're here Mm. based on all of this effort. It's like, we can't just throw this away because we want some oil. Like, Like, this is so disrespectful. For no other reason. Just to know, like, why we're here. Just to know why we're here. I want to read this, but this, what brings me to mind is, I actually haven't read this book. I just brought it. (laughs) I don't know why. But, like, um, what's really funny is I have this, like, so it's a human history. Oh, sorry. A Brief History of How We Fucked It All Up (laughs) by Tom Phillips. I have not actually read it, but what I... I don't know why I brought it, but now I think I brought it because I think I have a pessimistic view right now of humankind. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah, that yeah. we're just like, we're not, do we actually learn from our lessons? Are we just cyclical? Are we just like fucking it all up? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we agreed if we can swear or not. Yeah, but, um, okay. <laughs> and then this <laughs> is beautiful. It's not the first time. It's I know it isn't, right? And then this is beautiful that there is like um, books and obviously many, many perspectives of, no, we learn and we're building on and we're stacking knowledge and that I like, I yeah. needed that this morning. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> so please. Yeah, good. yeah. So this is like towards the end. And so, you know, he's gone through the whole history of math and he's gotten to like, um, you know, electricity, digital, you know, uh, computing and stuff. And he's talking about the future, which is like quantum com- computing. And so he writes this thing. He says, we are analog creatures based upon a digital code, like describing our situation now. Supplementing ourselves with more and more digital information is in this sense the evolutionary is evolutionarily regressive. Digital information's strongest feature is that can be copied cheaply and accurately and translated unambiguously. It represents a reduction of analog information, the dead blueprint or memory of life rather than the alive analog element. And he says, mm-hmm. on the other hand, quantum information is infinitely deeper, more subtle, uh, and delicate. Um, so the thing that this made me think about, right, like this description of we're analog creatures 
in a digital world, mm-hmm. like zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. So the thing it made me think about actually is like something people talk about all the time, which is how kind of divided we've become. Mm-hmm. And it made me think, oh, wow, it's actually built into the code. I never thought about this, but it's built into the code, zeros and ones. So we look at each Mm. other through, literally through... Oh my God, this is a matrix right now. Literally through screens. Are you a zero or are you a one? Are you a zero or are you a one? Mm. We look at each other through these lenses now that reduce what is actually Mm. complex analog information into digital zeros and ones, binary, you're this or that. And then the thing on the horizon, quantum is more again, more richer in information. But then he says here, but quantum information is also like more um, fragile and it can't be copied. So Mm. it's like, it just made me think, wow, like, yeah, how much technology shapes us, of course, but in this way that I never really thought about and how, yeah, and then how like it's going to shape us in the future. Like Mm. right now it's, it's affecting our perspectives of mm-hmm. one another. Like, mm-hmm. you're analog. Mm-hmm. And when I look at you now, I understand that you're complex. Mm-hmm. But when I look at you through the digital zeros mm-hmm. and ones, mm-hmm. I reduce you to something. Mm-hmm. And that, like, mm-hmm. it kind of, like, that's what we've been doing. That's what we, we sort of, like, talk about a lot and complain about a lot is how we're reducing one another yeah. nowadays yeah. and separating each other mm-hmm. into two groups. And it's like, yeah, it's built into the I, th- I think a good example technology. of that is um, Zadie Smith, awesome. great writer. She wrote an essay about why she doesn't journal. And she's never been good at journaling. She hates journaling. Um, but she And she makes a statement in the essay where she says, um, if you want to like see, read my journal, like just read my email. Like, when I die, just go on my email account mm. and just read all my emails. And she actually writes emails in a way as if it's, like, um, you know, a, kind of a trace of her, like, finding yeah. all of her old journals. But I think about, like, say, for my children, like, if I leave them my phone and my hard drive of all my photos versus, like, my grandmother or whatever who left, like, photo albums. Yeah. Like, yeah. Th- when you t- bring that quote up, I feel like that's kind of this example of the quality of, like, digital information versus mm-hmm. um, analog. Yeah, you can access way more. Yeah, yeah. But w- how much meaning is it going to have for that next generation to go through, like, people's hard drives or cloud storage versus, like, that curated, printed That's it. photo album? I have, That's a qu- it. I have a question. So yeah. do you think that we're throwing... Are we throwing it away? Are we not stacking knowledge anymore? Like, because I know yeah. there's just a lot of people, and there's also there are people in the world who are continuing to learn and to uh, elevate. And then there's there. I think there's always been people who then just live life and survive. Yeah. yeah. But like, do you think in the general sense we we're losing this? We're well, losing I think or? we are stacking it. Like, we're still collecting information and adding knowledge. But as but um, I think what I hear in this is that the quality mm. of that information. The quality of that information mm-hmm. is like is is more crude and it's worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, basically. So I used to have this argument with my brother, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, the mu-, and he's young still. He's like, "Oh, the music's so trash these days." I'm like, "Who are you? You're, you're younger than me. Shut up." Anyways, and I, I, but I get what he's saying. Is just there's so much production these days yeah. that he he he, but he gets caught up in the fact that everyone can produce something. Mm-hmm. But what if you actually? I think, in my opinion, if you compare like the greats from today to the greats from again it's different different Mm. generations but it's it's amazing music that's coming out when it's coming from 
like the great, the great. Yeah, the best of now ha- is, is continues to improve, improve. Mm-hmm. but the, the quantity and the means of production and so also to sift through it waters can be, it down. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. There's a thousand minutes of music uploaded to YouTube a second, wow. right? So a second per second, That's a thousand crazy. minutes. Everyone um, wants to be the next Drake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, jump in. Just on um, your point, because if you even think about kids these days who are growing up now, they're learning to type before they learn to write. Mm, yeah. And that's a crazy yeah. that's a crazy way to Well even... sometimes they're not learning to write now. Yes, yeah. they're yeah. not. I, I asked my niece the other day and I was like, so do you still take cursive? Like she's like nope. Auntie, what is cursive? What is that? And I was like, oh my gosh, am I aging myself? This is crazy. And mm-hmm. so even just the way they're absorbing information and the way they that it comes out through their body is completely different. Mm-hmm. Completely but, different. Yeah, you... yeah. Think about like um handwriting. Yes. And just the, what's contained in that. Like, I had a hard time writing rhymes on a computer for a long time mm-hmm. because right. it was like, it's like I couldn't recognize myself mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, this is, feels weird. I, I don't know if these words on this paper are me mm-hmm. because it doesn't look like mm-hmm. me. Right. It looks yeah. like Times New Roman. <laughs> and the fact that you can actually identify, you know, to a certain point, identify someone by their handwriting, right? That's yeah. like some of the part of the juice. And also, I realized I actually am, I can't even, I can't even write properly more. And I grew up. Right. Yeah, I can't. Right. I can barely I, like, form letters. Oh, my gosh. I write like a 10-year-old boy. It's totally it's, fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, let's, go just, to, let's go to Homecoming. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Yeah. So, okay. Homegoing by Yaga Yasish. Mm-hmm. This book it was amazing. It was a hard read for me at points, but I think I needed that and I loved it. Um, so really this... On the cover artwork alone. Like, cover artwork. Oh my gosh. That yes. alone. So it's an incredible book. It, you read it too? Yeah, it's an incredible it's, book. Yeah. It's an incredible, incredible journey. It's an incredible book. Um, the book, uh, and you can jump in anytime since you've read it, um, but it follows the, um, really the ancestral line from two twins that I see were a whole, like, Africa. family tree. Yes, and one of the twins was married off in, in Africa, um, in, where was it, Ghana? Ghana, it's like, yeah. Ghana. It's like nine generations yes. on the family tree. and then tree. the wow. other twin was unfortunately sold um, as a slave and ended up in the States. Mm. And so this book really follows each their generations and what their what they go through and their families wow. and just how systemic um, their experience is and how it was passed down. There's some really beautiful elements to this book. Um, the passage I chose was near the end, um, but I would love to share with you guys. Yeah. So. In my dreams, I kept seeing this castle, but I did not know why. One day I came to these waters and I could feel the spirits of our ancestors calling to me. Some were free and they spoke to me from the sand, but some others were trapped deep, deep, deep in the water so that I had to wade out to hear their voices. I waded out so far, the water almost took me down to meet those spirits that were trapped so deep in the sea that they would never be free. When they were living, they had, not, they had not known where they came from, and so dead, they did not know how to get to dry land. I put you here so that if your spirit ever wandered, you would know where home was. Marjorie nodded as her grandmother took her hand and walked her farther, farther out into the water. It was their summer ritual, her grandmother reminding her how to come home. Mm. Wow. That evokes, I mean, I, I was in Ghana, um, and... 
there's two castles on the coast. One is in Cape Coast and one is in Almina, a town nearby. And um, there's also a similar um, island in the, uh, the car off the coast of Senegal where I've been as well. But the one in Cape Coast, like when you go into the dungeon of the castle, you can hear the ocean rumble wow. like against the wall. Like mm-hmm. you hear the through the tiny opening, the tr- kind of treble of the the wave and froth mm-hmm. is like this high pitched noise, but the bass and like the d- low sounds of like the ocean rolling and yeah. against the um, building and against the rocks um, are are evoked by that, and it's like you're you're there thinking about like all these people, both some free and and some not, and that that image of like wading in the water out mm-hmm. to hear the voices. I mean, almost being pulled in is, like, uh, hypnotic. It was, it was mm-hmm. so powerful for me because, uh, for me, I, I, the ocean for me is so meaningful in my life. And, um, you feel like you're always by the ocean. <laughs> I try to be. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when, I, when I reduce you to your Instagram, I'm like, she's always by the yeah. ocean. <laughs> I am. Um, and so what about the ocean is, means so much to you? So for me... From this passage, it it struck a chord with me. I mean, I mean, my ancestors are not necessarily from from Ghana specifically, but um, my ancestors use the ocean to to travel, and I am because of the ocean. Mm-hmm. It is the only reason I am because my ancestors came from China, landed in Jamaica, came from India, landed in Jamaica. If I go back far enough, yes, that we are from Africa, um, various places in Africa. But I just I love the fact that it it just highlights that there's so much depth and history and things that we need to understand and dive deeper. We really need to dive deeper, I think, Mm -hmm. as a society, I think. And and that goes back to sort of what we were saying about, are we still layering information? Are we, is our life, have our lives become so surface level Mm -hmm. that we no longer, that we no longer learn and, and are curious Mm -hmm. um, about, our history and our ancestry and and what makes us unique and then therefore all of these things that we spoke about before even this idea of empathy and and knowing that there's there's history out there that we haven't what i love about this is that we're you just naturally segued into a question we often ask at the end is like what have you taken away from our conversation Mm -hmm. so i want if you want add more but i was gonna turn to shad and Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think also tying into this this yeah. book as you read it as well yeah yeah um well yeah it is a it is a really remarkable book and what it i mean in how it's written and also what it attempts to do which is like yeah give us back a little bit of a sense of history because yeah we have horrible amnesia in our culture yes. it's like it's awful we think that the, th- the way things are are the way things have always been and it's just like no and we reduce everything like this is about this kind of the reduction of black people to one monolith and it's like no we have these credible stories and these little forks in the road that have shaped you know kind of um who we are and our different experiences and also what connects us right um that was great i mean i think it's great to just talk about books because we're all clearly like excited about books and ideas and and uh and and i don't know there's something about books and how they affect us you know i make music i host a documentary film but at the end of the day i know that books are different 
and how mm-hmm. they affect us are it it is different. I'm I'm more shaped by books than I am probably by music or film or anything else. Uh, There's something about it. Yeah, that says a lot because I mean the the influences of music on you have been so huge. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, I think. Like, there's this book I brought in, All God's Children Need Traveling Shoes by Maya Angelou. And she wrote it about the time that she was living in Ghana. Um, and that book, Homecoming, being oh like two twins mm-hmm. um, who are separated and kind of like two, kind of representing two parts of the African diaspora. For her, this is like a return. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there are, it's I really recommend reading it um, it's not a book that you don't hear a lot of people talk about by Maya Angelou but it does kind of bring some of those complexities as well um, to together and I think with that like I, my main reflection walking out of this I guess what I take out of this conversation is like the how much of what I'm doing is m- for me and how much is it really um, for other people and I think being kind I, I'm really excited about and really embracing that like my life is for others like mm-hmm. you know and and being conscious of that and being intentional about it um and, and seeing where that leads like that that's such a mm-hmm. um that idea really stuck sticks with me like poetry um so duh. well something for me always stuck out is and i i, I always flip-flop if this was true but after this conversation i think it is to, on a certain level is that you can only really know yourself if you know others yeah. um because a other people are mirrors of yourself and I think I don't know if it was a conversation with you or something but like love is a mirror Mm -hmm. too and so um and so that's just kind of coming full circle with this conversation about community and layers and empathy Mm -hmm. and books yeah any last thought I mean I I really enjoyed this conversation I think it's it's rare that we can have these conversations now like in person with with physical bodies around us i i I love that um and physical books and physical books and paper um i i've taken so much from this conversation i think we're um for me i'm taking away that you know i'm on this quest to sort of dive deeper and understand people better and i think that you know i take some of some of those cues that you said you know my life is for others and that sort of you know what I do every day, even you know working working with those youth and um, you know championing people who are who are championing social impact and and change and um, diverse projects. So it was really inspiring, and I think I'm going to go read some of the books you guys brought here for sure. So thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, thank you for being a part of Stay Reading. Uh, wish we could get into all the books that we bring in the room, but it never happens. <laughs> Which is a beautiful thing on its own. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Stay Reading. And if you want to find any of the titles we discussed today or learn more about our guests, you can always check at double underscore stay reading on Instagram. And wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share.